Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, We're in Matthew again, in Matthew 14, beginning kind of the second half of Matthew today. And we're going to be reading verses uh, 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12 in Matthew uh, 14. And the title of the message today is The Cost of Speaking Truth. The Cost of Speaking Truth. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and took the body, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. Believers are called to be people of the truth. We follow the one who is the way, the truth and the life. And so our lives should be characterized as people who live truthfully, as people who live with integrity, as people who speak the truth, as people who thirst for and, uh, uh, and uh, seek the truth. Now the culture we live in seems not to place a very high priority on the truth these days. We live among people, and sometimes it's true of ourselves, who want the truth to conform to our desires, our ideas, and and our lifestyle, instead of the other way around, instead of having our desires and ideas and lifestyles conform to the truth. That's the way it's supposed to be. But people seem to want the truth to conform to what they've already assumed and what they desire and what the, the way they want to live. It doesn't seem to be matter what side of the political divide people find themselves on, They don't want the truth to conflict with their political philosophies or preconceptions. But I want you to know truth is true whether it agrees with your preconceptions or my preconceptions or your ideologies, my ideologies or not. Truth is truth. And it's true whether you accept it and believe it or whether you reject it and don't believe it. And so you and I as Christians are to be people of the truth. We are to speak the truth in love whether people agree with us or disagree with us. We are to speak the truth if those around us embrace the truth or if those around us reject the truth and if they reject us because we speak the truth. We are to do it in love, but we are still to speak the truth. We are to speak the truth if people in power embrace it or if people in power reject it. We are to speak the truth if the Republicans are in power and we are to speak the truth if the Democrats are in power. 
We are never so closely to align ourselves with any one political faction that we cease to speak the truth to all in power and thus cease to be people of the truth. Speaking the truth is more important than achieving political power, and you and I as believers must never forget that, although some, I think, have forgotten that. Speaking the truth is still not popular. Sometimes it can get you killed. John Huss and William Tyndale were killed because they stood for the sufficiency and truth of the Word of God. Diedrich Bonhoeffer left the safety of the United States. He was actually teaching in the United States, I think it was 39 or 40, um, maybe earlier, and he could have stayed here, but he returned to Nazi Germany so he could speak the truth. He led a movement of churches called the Confessing Church, and the Confessing Church that Dietrich Bonhoeffer led refused to compromise with the Nazis, and they refused to become part of, uh, of the state church that, w- that was just preaching ex- exactly what Hitler wanted it to preach. John, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would not be part of the spread of anti-Semitism in Germany. He continually preached against it. And he opposed Hitler and he refused to back down. And ultimately, it cost him his life. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated because he continually spoke the truth about bigotry and racism and the need for racial reform and equality in this nation. So speaking the truth can get you killed. In Matthew 14, at the beginning of the second half of Matthew's gospel, we read about, uh, about the one who was first in prison and then lost his life because he spoke the truth. John the Baptist spoke the truth to Herod Antipas and Herodias about their wicked lifestyle, and they didn't like it. But from this passage of scripture uh, from Matthew, we learn this a timeless truth. That believers thirst for, seek after, and speak truth to every generation regardless of the consequences. Believers thirst for, seek after, and speak the truth to every generation regardless of the consequences. Now the second half of Matthew, and that's where we're going today, we kind of, chapter 13 is kind of the divide of Matthew uh, into two parts, begins with a tragic event like the first half of Matthew began. And both these tragic events involved the Herod family. In Matthew 2, we read of Herod the Great's fear of a newborn king being born in Bethlehem. And, and when he found out that the wise men weren't going to tell him who, who that king was, he ordered the, uh, the killings of all baby boys in Bethlehem two years old and under. That tragic event that we recorded in the first part of Matthew. Now, Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, who was given a fourth of Herod the Great's old kingdom, commits an atrocity of executing the last prophet of the Old Covenant era. These two events foreshadow uh, the climax of Matthew, the crucifixion of Jesus, that Jesus would die for us, and, uh, and uh, the just for the unjust, so that we might be... Uh, We might know God and and be able to love God. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven. And he was resurrected. And so we see this kind of tragic event that begins the first first half uh, events that began the first half and the second half of Matthew. Now in Matthew 14, Herod Antipas heard about Jesus and what he was doing. it's, it's, It's like he heard a rumor 
he heard about the fame of Jesus. And when Herod Antipas heard about the fame of Jesus, plagued by guilt, guilty conscience, he superstitiously said to his advisors, This is John the Baptist, raised from the dead. That's why the miraculous powers at work in him. You see, Herod supposedly didn't believe in anything. Uh, but his guilty conscience continually condemned him. And he had all kinds of irrational thoughts. Herod was supposedly part of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees supposedly didn't even believe in the resurrection. But Herod thought in his superstition and plagued by his guilty conscience that John the Baptist was somehow channeling through Jesus. That's, that's the irrationality of his thinking. But that's what happens when someone is plagued by a guilty conscience. You know, Herod... Uh, People have a conscience, and that conscience can plague them until the very end of their life. In fact, the only thing that can free you from a guilty conscience is receiving the forgiveness offered to you through the blood of Jesus. But Herod didn't do that. Instead, he was tormented. Proverbs 28 says, A man tormented by the guilt of murder will be a fugitive till death. Let no one support him. You see, every human being has a conscience. Every human being, Romans 1 talks a lot about this. Most don't have their consciences enlightened by the word of God, but there's something in each person that helps them know uh, the difference between right and wrong and, and provides them with some standard for right and wrong. And even though this conscience can be seared, this conscience can be ignored, uh, this conscience can be hardened, people still have a conscience. They still have some kind of standards and, and they know they shouldn't violate these things. You know, when someone says to you, well, I don't believe any of that stuff in the Bible, so don't talk to me about the Bible. Well, you know, one of the ways to witness to them is to talk to them about, well, you have, you have some, some things you believe are right and some things you believe are wrong. You know, do you always do what you think is right or do you sometimes not do what even what you think is right and talk to them about, about their own their own, uh, their own conscience condemning them because they don't always abide by even their own standard of right and wrong. But anyway, we all have a conscience. Herod knew that he had executed an innocent man and it bothered him, it plagued him. Now kind of look at how this ugly story came about. Uh, Herod Antipas was a ruler of the fourth of Herod the Great's kingdom since about 4 BC. When Herod the Great died, he had, he had a pretty large uh, territory he ruled over. And it was divided between his four sons. One son got two-fourths, a half of it. The other two got uh, a fourth of it. And so Herod ruled over a fourth. That's why it's called a tetrarch. A tetrarch means a fourth part, basically. Herod Antipas was ruler of Galilee and Perea. Herod Antipas married the daughter of Aretas, uh, Arabian king of the Nabataeans, and the land adjoined uh, Perea on the south. It was kind of a, it was kind of a political marriage, you know. It was a marriage to to someone that was a neighbor to him, so he could increase his power. Sometime later, though, Herod went to see his brother Philip, who lived in Rome, and his brother Philip was married to a woman named Herodias. Herod Antipas and his brother Philip's wife had an affair and they divorced their spouses and they married each other. But they did not live happily ever after. 
In fact, Aretas, the Arabian king of the Nabataeans, he didn't appreciate his daughter being scorned. And later in history, uh, uh, Aretas uh, had a war against Herod. And if the Romans had not intervened, Herod would have been completely annihilated. Now, when John the Baptist heard about this relationship of, of Herod's wife's, uh, Herod's brother's wife and Herod uh, divorcing and, and marrying each other, he said, it's not lawful for you to possess your brother's wife. This is wrong. And John didn't just say it once. He said it again and again. He preached about it often. Now, Herod couldn't afford to have John the Baptist publicly criticizing him among his Jewish subjects because they wouldn't be happy about this marriage either. They didn't like Herod in the first place, and they sure wouldn't be happy about this relationship that Herod and Herodias had. And so he arrested John because of Herodias and because of his own guilt, and he put him in the prison of Macarius to silence John. Now, Macarius is this big uh, fortress palace, and Herod, Herod had, uh, Herod had a, a, a palace there, but then by the palace, he had this dungeon uh, built uh, to, to put people that he didn't like what they said. And so he put John in Macarius in the dungeon. Now think about what this would have done to John. John the Baptist, who basically, you know, he lived outdoors. He lived in the wilderness. The Bible says he ate locusts and wild honey. You know, his, his ministry was by the Jordan where he baptized people. And now he's arrested and he's put in a cold uh, dungeon under the ground in a dark, cold dungeon. And just think about, about how that would affect it, uh, affected John. The scripture tells us in uh, Matthew, Herod Antipas wanted to kill John. But he was afraid of the public. He was afraid of public opinion. He was afraid of how it might hurt him politically. And we learn from Mark that Herod also realized John was a righteous man. And he had a certain respect for him. And he was also a little bit afraid of killing him because John was a righteous person and Herod knew he wasn't a righteous person. And so there was fear. In fact, Mark 6 says, Herod feared John knowing that he was righteous and a holy man and he kept him safe. Listen to this. When he heard him, he actually listened to him. He was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. You know, Herod was a troubled person. You can just see it as you read the biblical description of him. Like any tyrant, he was, he was an emotionally troubled person whose moods would swing dramatically. He wanted to kill John, but he didn't want to kill John. Uh, he liked to hear him, but he didn't like what he said. And so that's, that's, the, that's the kind of personality... Uh, often we see in people that are that are tyrants and dictators. Now Mark also tells us that there was somebody else involved. Herod's wife, Herodias, who was his brother's wife, who he should have, shouldn't have had a relationship with in the first place. She held a grudge against John because he spoke the truth about her and Herod. And when Herodias held a grudge, she knew how to hold a grudge. She was ruthless, and she wanted John the Baptist dead. She wanted him dead. But she she couldn't do anything because she didn't have the power to do that. But an opportunity came, Mark tells us. 
Herod Antipas had a birthday. And even though Jewish people didn't celebrate birthdays too much, the uh, Gentile people did. And it was a big day because Herod Antipas was the ruler. He threw a big party for himself. At this party, Herodias' daughter, and we know her name um, from historical records, was Salome. It was her daughter from her first marriage to Herod's Antipas' brother Philip. I know this is a soap opera, but it's the true story. She came and she danced uh, for Herod and his guests. Herodias' daughter Salome. I think it's safe to say that she did not dance the ballet. I think that's safe to say. Whatever kind of dance she did for Herod and his drunken friends, uh, she pleased Herod. Uh, She pleased Herod. And I believe the girl's young mother actually put her up to this. Herodias did some kind of dance, probably some kind of sensual Middle Eastern kind of dance. And Herod and, and her, uh, uh, no, Salome did this dance. And Herodias, I think she knew how Herod might respond but because she knew what kind of man Herod was. First of all, Herod left his first wife to marry her, so that doesn't say a lot about his character, right? And so when, when the daughter, the young girl Salome, who was a young girl, they think she may be 14 years old or something around there. It's really a tragic story. When she did this dance, uh, Herod said to her, and, and probably in his parting state, I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. And he, and he promised to do that with oaths. He braggadocially offered her anything. In front of his guest. And so Salome went to her mother Herodias and she said, What should I ask for? And their mother immediately said, Ask for the head of John the Baptist. Ask for the head of John the Baptist. John had spoken the truth to Herod Antipas, he'd spoken the truth. To all of Israel, he'd spoken the truth to Herodias, but Herodias was offended and she didn't like being an object of John's preaching. And so she asked, Salome, her daughter, asked without hesitation for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I think Herod must have realized he had been outwitted by his wife and he regretted what he'd done. It's, scripture says he was sorry for what he'd done. He was sorry for what he'd done. Uh, But it says because of his oath and his guest, he commanded it to be given. Now, if you say something rash, you say something you shouldn't say, you make a promise you shouldn't make, what should you do? Well, you should acknowledge that you shouldn't have said that in the first place and that you're not going to do the wrong thing. You should acknowledge that you're not going to do the wrong thing. Um, But Herod was too weak to do that. And though, because he'd made these oaths and because he had done this publicly in front of an audience, he said, 
uh, he would not change his mind. He would not backtrack. He would not, he would not do the right thing because he was weak and not strong. And because he would be too embarrassed not to fulfill his oath in front of his guest, he had John the Baptist beheaded and the head brought to Salome on a platter. Probably the prison was right next to where the party was. And probably Salome and Herodias wanted to have it given right then so Herod couldn't think about it and change his mind. The scripture then tells us that John the Baptist disciples, uh, probably men who had cared for him even while he was in prison, uh, came and he took John's body and they buried it. And then they went and they told Jesus. This is not a nice story, is it? There's nothing nice about it. And the truth is, sometimes when you tell the truth, it's going to cost you. Sometimes when you speak the truth in love, it will cost you. It might cost you your life. It did John, not many times. It might cost you a job. It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you a relationship. When you speak the truth, and I'm talking about truth that you need to speak. I'm not talking about telling your wife that she cooked a bad dinner tonight. I'm not talking about that, and we all know that, okay? But there are some times that you have to speak the truth and you speak it in love and you speak it without hesitation. And it's got to be said. We have to be people who speak the truth. Uh, We have to speak the truth and tell the truth. And we have to not fear even when the most powerful of people don't want us to speak the truth. We have to speak the truth. It's often hard to speak the truth, isn't it? I was reading a story um, uh, that uh, someone wrote, Chuck Colson said this. He said when he was in the White House before he was saved, he said people would often come and they'd be in groups and they would talk about how the president needed to hear about such and such a thing. You know, President Nixon, who he worked for. He said people would come and they'd say, oh, I'm going to tell the president about this. And he, you know, he needs to hear this. He needs to hear about this and he needs to do something. And they would come in these large groups and they would say the things that they were going to say to the president. But when the president came in and they were actually in the presence of President Nixon, most of them didn't have any courage. They were kind of awed by the office and the power and everything else. And most of them didn't say what they said they were going to say. Because it's not easy to speak the truth sometimes. It's hard. It's difficult. Have you ever had a time that you really need to say something to someone for their own good? Because they were, they were doing something very destructive. And you knew you had to do it. But there, everything in you just, I don't want to talk to them. I, I don't know how they're going to receive it. When we need to speak the truth, we need to be people of courage and conviction. And we need to speak the truth to those in power and to those who have no power. Just because we speak the truth doesn't mean people will respond to the truth. They didn't at first when John Huss and William Tyndale proclaimed the truth, when they proclaimed the sufficiency of God's word. When they proclaimed that the, that the common people should have access to the word of God. In fact, 
they didn't they 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 killed them. But later on, what they taught and preached, that's why each of us to here has copies of scripture today, because they taught it and preached it and and uh, and told the truth about it. Uh, when you proclaim God's truth, there will be those who reject it and say uh, and say God's words out of line. We live in a culture that says many they don't want to hear the truth of God's word, and they say it's out of time, it's out of line with with the culture. It doesn't mean that anymore today. But the truth is the truth, whether you accept it or whether you reject it. God's truth remain, and His word is still what we must teach and preach and build our lives upon. When you stand against dehumanizing philosophies and for justice and reform and racial equality like Martin Luther King did, there's going to be opposition and sometimes violence against you. When you stand against tyrants and evil uh, and demonic systems like Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, evil tyrants will try to silence you. And today, when you and I speak truth and justice, and when we proclaim that salvation is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone... We, there are those who want to silence us. But we must be people of the truth. We must be people of the truth. Because we need to know that the truth will prevail. The truth will prevail. When John the Baptist and John Huss and William Tyndale and Dietrich Bonhoeffer were dead, the truth prevailed. And it will ultimately prevail. It will always prevail. And we are people of the truth. And we must speak the truth in love. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's really hard. And I'm not talking just about you know, situations to people in power. I'm talking about speaking the truth to your, to your kids or to your family or to your uh, co-workers. But the truth sets us free and we must be people who speak the truth we must be people who speak the truth Jesus is the truth and Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever believers must thirst for seek after and speak truth to every generation regardless of of the consequences. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be people of the truth. Lord, that we would know the truth, that we would know you, Jesus, because you are the truth. But Lord, in the day when it's it's hard and sometimes it's confusing and it's hard to discern the truth, give us wisdom and discernment to know the truth and to speak it. Lord, help us to speak it in love. Lord, help us not to speak the truth and use it like a hammer against people. But help us to speak the truth in love that people might know life and forgiveness. And they might know your ways. And, and we might live in a just society and we might speak for the oppressed. Oh God, and we might speak the gospel to people. Help us to be people of the truth. To discern truth to love the truth, to thirst for the truth, and to seek after truth. Oh, Lord God, help us to speak the truth 
even when those around us do not want to hear it, help us to speak your truth and your gospel. Because, Father, we know that even though some don't want to hear it, there are others, Lord, who are desperately looking for something to build their lives upon. They're desperately looking for the one who is the way and the truth and the life. They need him more than life itself. And so, Lord, help us to speak truth and speak Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.